everyone. Welcome to episode number eight of the Elven Padawan podcast. I'm your host, Shay, and here today for you, I have a recording I did way back during Tolkien Week, for Tolkien Week, uh, where I talk with special guest Max all about Tolkien, Tolkien Week, Hobbit Day, the history of that. We dig into some interesting things like the connections between the writings of Tolkien's and the way Middle-earth works and Christian theology and we also just look through my dictionary of Tolkien and pick topics to discuss so it's a lot of rambling but I'm hoping you guys out there who love Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and even the Silmarillion and the Children of Hurin will enjoy this episode. Now I want to go ahead and give a quick apology for the audio quality in this episode. Some of you may remember a ways back when I did my zero hour review that the audio quality in that that had a weird glitch going on with it and it was like taking out little bits of what me and my guest were saying. Well, I had that same problem with this recording. When I went back and listened through to it, I noticed that a lot of times when I was talking, for some reason, it had taken out little bits of the audio. But I also noticed that my guest's audio was completely intact and very good quality. And I just really didn't want to throw out this whole hour-long recording just because of some glitchy audio whenever I was speaking. I also have one other thing to address before I get into my discussion from Tolkien Week. And that is, those of you who visit my blog, theovenpadawan.com, may have noticed that I'm switching some things up on there. I've changed the menu and the way things are set up, so it's a little easier to discern between what's my blog and what is Star Wars related news. I also have some amazing new site logo art, which was done by the awesome kitten of A Creative Life blog, who is a great up and coming fan artist, and she's also beginning work on a Sabine Wren cosplay. I'll have a link to her stuff in my show notes. Please go check her out, give her site some traffic, like her things post a comment, talk with her. She's a very cool person. She loves Rebels, loves Star Wars, and she's a great artist, and the, I could not be happier with the logo. It's just amazing. Check that out if you haven't seen my site yet. Go look at it, and you can see the logo and everything else. Those of you who have Twitter may have also noticed that I've been trying to tweet a lot more and interact with people a lot on there, so if you ever want to say hi, please feel free to do so on there. And... You should have noticed right off that I have a brand new podcast intro that's being premiered for the first time this episode. So, I want you guys to tell me what you think. I've been updating some things with this podcast and my site, trying to make it a little better polished, and I didn't really like my old intro very much at all. So let me know what you think of the new one. Send me an email if you want to. That's shay at elvenpadawan.com. Or send me a message on Twitter, which is Twitter at Elvin Padawan, capital E, capital P. Get on my website and comment or use the con- or use the contact box. Any of those ways you can get in touch with me. I'd love to hear from you. So now I'm going to stop jabbering and get right into what you came here to hear. And that is me and my guest Max going way too deep and geeking out about Tolkien. Hello everyone, welcome to this episode of the Elven Padawan Podcast, and here today with me to talk about Tolkien and Middle-earth 
in honor of Tolkien Week and Hobbit Day is Max, who loves Tolkien in Middle-earth, like I do. So we're going to just talk about this and probably ramble a lot, but we'll just see how this goes. So welcome to the show. Hey, happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. You're welcome. Okay, so first off on my notes here, I've got just introducing what Tolkien Week and Hobbit Day are. So... Hot Day, obviously, is September 22nd. That happens every year. It's the day that celebrates both Bilbo and Frodo Baggins' birthday. And I believe I read somewhere that it's also the day that he landed at Lake Town, the day they crawled out of the barrels at Lake Town. That's correct, yeah. That's pretty neat to me. And apparently that's been going on since 1978. And it's, it's very widely celebrated at this point. A lot of people do parties and dress up and all that kind of stuff so that's happening this friday yeah see this is this is the first i've heard of this and i tell you what i'm gonna have to start observing this you know yes i heard about it first i think last year but it was so late by the time i heard about it i was like well i can't really anything and the interesting thing is i keep telling my mom that she should have waited and let me be born exactly one week late because my birthday was last friday yeah so yeah it just I tell you what, for uh, Bilbo's birthday, I'm going to see if I can get Mom to throw something like that. You know, I mean, and, uh, yeah, do some cosplaying, I suppose, you know. See if I can. Yes, I'm planning on, I, I have a class um, uh, for several hours that day, so I'm planning on doing at least a closet co- cosplay, yeah. just wearing, like, my elf ears and kind of gen and inspired by outfit. Yeah. See if I can get my younger siblings to be hobbits for the day. Yes, that would be awesome. Shanna and I did a elf and hobbit cosplay once, and it was pretty fun. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. So, when I did a little bit of research, I found out that this year is especially big for Tolkien fans and for Tolkien Week, because not only is it Tolkien's 125th birthday... It marks the 80th anniversary of The Hobbit, the 80th anniversary of Beowulf, The Monsters and the Critics, which was an essay he wrote, the 70th anniversary of On Fairy Stories, the 50th anniversary of Smith of Wooten Major, the 40th anniversary of The Silmarillion, and the 10th anniversary of The Children of Hurin. And this year they also published Baron and Luthien, finally, in its complete form. Mm. Yeah, I haven't got to reading that one yet, but... uh... Most of those works that you just mentioned are are just absolutely amazing. I mean, in particular, the Silmarillion. Most people think that dry, yes. but I mean, it's yes. just written in a history book form, which I find quite interesting. Yes, I, I think it's amazing. A lot of people I've found won't even read. They might read The Hobbit, but they think The Lord of the Rings is too dense or just, just too hard to get mm-hmm. through. Too, too much stuff to remember, too many places and names and such but i mean that just adds to the overall you know i mean the feel of the book it's quite amazing really yes i like it a lot and something that i found out was that tolkien never wanted to publish lord of the rings like lord of the rings and the hobbit are often seen as one continuous series well he always tried to publish the silmarillion right along with them but i mean that's like a what, 2,000-page book. That's enormous. And his publishers never would let him. It never got published till after he died when his son finally was able to publish it. And the funny thing, all us uh, fans who are 
who were part of both Star Wars and Lord of the Rings fandom. It was published in the year 1977, and that's the year A New Hope came out, so that's kind of an interesting coincidence. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I I tell you what, I tried to uh, get the uh, book where it has all of them combined, and I never, I never yeah. could find it. I mean... And I'm not made yeah, of money, yet, but... I have, yeah, I have yet to find one like that, but that would be amazing if you could oh, find yeah. that. Yeah, it could be my... Uh... We found one at Books and Million. Oh, yeah, is it... I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I need to look into that one. Yeah, we found one at Books and Million that was, like, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings all at once. Yeah, I found, like, just The Lord of the Rings. I could never get The Hobbit, though, uh, to that one has, I think, you know, be incorporated in the one book. Okay, okay. hopefully that'll work. They were talking about things besides Lord of the Rings that people don't read. Silmarillion. And I've had people tell me that they don't like to read them. Like, no offense to these people, because they may be listening, but they don't like to read the other things uh, because the names are so hard to pronounce. Yeah, I've heard that one. And and I'm thinking, well, if you're not reading it out loud, <laughs> then it's not that big of a trouble. Right. And I've never found... Elvish extremely hard to pronounce in my brain. Mm-hmm. You know, and out loud it can be pretty tough. Yeah. But... Well, that's the way with everything, though. <laughs> so. Yeah. All right. Okay. So, let's see. I had something else. Oh, okay. So I had what I was going to talk about is, like I said, my birthday was last week, and my sister for my birthday, got me A Dictionary of Tolkien by David Day. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. No. It's really cool. It's got a lot of really neat pictures in it, like um, pencil sketches, Mm -hmm. and they illustrate a lot of the different races and landscapes, and it's got a map of both Middle-earth and the Undying Lands, which I thought was really neat. And it's basically, it says in the cover, see, I've read before, um, I guess you pronounce it Bestinary or Beastinary. It's like a collection yeah. of animals. I've gotten that before. There's one of those all about Tolkien's work. And this is basically that plus a dictionary mixed together. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's the first I've heard of it. Um, I need... See, I've heard of the uh, bestiary before. I have seen that. But uh, I've mostly relied on just the... Uh, like the Silmarillion and stuff with... The, the drawings by the guy who did the movies, too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I always find it funny to look at um, Tolkien and his son's drawings and, like, their interpretations of how things looked compared to how Peter Jackson interpreted them in the movie. I know, it's a big difference. I mean... It's really funny. Like, Smaug in particular. I mean, whoa. Yes. I think I think he was going for I think Tolkien was going for a more mythological, almost kind of caveman look with it, mm-hmm. like a lot of old Norse burial paintings and such, like with the Vikings. I think he was kind of going for that. Whereas I'm not positive what the movie makers were going for. I don't know. I think they were going for more of just thriller. You know what I mean? Yeah, kind of a fantasy feel, almost more like the Narnia movies. Of course, the Narnia movies were based on the Lord of the Rings movie, so... Yeah. <laughs> but it... It's more how the... How I think... The Lord of the Rings movies were almost more how Narnia should have looked as a movie. 
Whereas, if, if you stay by what Tolkien thought. Which, I was okay with their interpretation of most things. Yeah, I mean, like, if they did the Lord of the Rings movies, and especially the Hobbit movies, as Tolkien had written them, it would have been more, I almost want to say whimsical, like, not really, yes. not so serious. Yes. That was the thing I always loved about Tolkien's books, is that, like, they say The Hobbit, like, the, the movie is definitely not a children's movie. No. I can say that. It's very, very dark and very gritty and bloody in places. And I've, um, and, and at the same time, the book is very much a children's fairy tale, but at the same time, it includes those aspects like the battle and the main characters dying and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, I've always told my mom, I don't think, and other people I've talked to, I don't think Tolkien would be completely happy with the way they've interpreted it in the movie because they glorified war so much. Yeah. And he was in no way a pacifist, but he fought in one of the bloodiest battles of World War One, and from then on, had he was scarred mentally because of that. Right. I mean, so I like the second Hobbit in particular was just there's just overly violent. Yeah, I, I mean, wow. I think he would yeah, have been uh, rolling in his grave a little. <laughs> probably, he. I wonder what he would have thought. I've heard a lot of different arguments on what he would have thought about the different liberties they took with adding characters and changing things around. I really don't know. I mean, like, I've heard some people say absolutely not. I mean, like I said, some people think he'd be rolling in his grave quite literally. But, I mean, I think it's fine yeah. to take a few liberties. I think he would have thought it was fine to take a few as far as, you know, like, extras are concerned main characters if you change those too much i don't think he would approve you know yeah i would probably have to agree there my problem is that i love the books and the things he wrote himself first and foremost but it's kind of odd because i actually saw all the movies before i read the books that was not my choice that was the choice of other people in my family. yeah see I, I read the books first so that is my absolute first impression so, to me, I mean, the movies are good, you know, but still, the original Tolkien work is always going to beat it. I mean, it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I almost see them as two different canons in a way. Yeah. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. Just, even the feel and just the, the way the story went... I almost see them as two different canons. Like, I love the movie canon because I'm a cosplayer and I like the costumes, love the music. And partly because I saw the movies first, there are certain characters and parts in the movies that I really like, but that don't line up with the book. At the same time, I see the books as being, like, the absolute authority. So I almost see them as two separate entities, in a way. Yeah. I mean, you know, I love the movies and, you know, the characters in there are, for the most part, pretty accurate. But, uh, like, and, and I'm grateful to them for that, for keeping them mostly accurate, but still. Uh, yeah. Yeah. One thing my sisters and I discuss a lot is how <laughs> both Bilbo and Frodo were supposed to be, like, in their 50s and 60s. <laughs> That's not yeah. how they're represented in the movies at all. No, like... Mid thirties at most. I mean, especially yeah. like more Bilbo mid thirties. Frodo, like mid twenties. 
Yeah, like late teens to mid early twenties, probably. Yeah. That makes me laugh. <laughs> that makes me laugh every time I think about. Oh that. yeah. I mean, like the one character that they absolutely got right was Gandalf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I think they did well with Gandalf. I think even though he was not supposed to be in The Hobbit at all, I think they did well with their interpretation of Radagast. Mm-hmm. Like, he was he was in the movie way more than he was ever in books, and he was in all the wrong places. Yeah. I, but going just off the little bit that Tolkien gave us, I thought they got him right. Right. And the backstory there was uh, very yeah. interesting. Saruman is another one that they got right. I love how Christopher Lee uh, knew Tolkien. Yes. Yeah. That's a very interesting bit of trivia. I just came across that actually recently. And I read that he would often make visits to the makeup department and just sit there and lecture them about how orcs were supposed to look. Oh, really? I didn't know that one. Yes. He would tell them all about how orcs were supposed to look because he had talked with Tolkien directly and Tolkien had told him. And apparently Tolkien gave him his blessing if they ever made a film adaption to play Gandalf. <laughs> oh, oh, man. I, I love that story. I mean... That one and the one where he uh, tells Peter Jackson how a man should sound when he is stabbed. That, yes. That's fun. I like those oh, very yeah. much. And one other thing about the movies they did get well was the language. I get they had to adapt mm-hmm. things. They had to make like a... Uh, they had to go off just what a little bit because a lot of times in the books... There are some places where they directly speak Elvish, but there are some places where they said they said this in Elvish, and it was just translated directly to English. Mm-hmm. So I think it would have been very easy to just say, okay, here's a rough approximation of what they're to be saying. Just pronounce it however you want. Nobody's going to notice. Yeah. Yeah, they did go into great detail there. Um, and, you know, I mean, for the most part, they did the research. It was very refreshing, actually, as far as movies go, you know? Yes. Yeah. I'm trying to remember there was something I'd read recently about the um about the languages. I can't remember exactly what it was. Oh, I do know one bit of trivia I do like is if you watch The Hobbit, I think it's the Desolation of Smog. Number one, Legolas is not supposed to be there, and that's something I go back and forth mm-hmm. on. But um when they find Thorin's sword mentioned that the sword the translation on the bottom of the screen said this is an elvish sword forged by my kin but if you actually listen to what Legolas is saying in elvish without the translation he's saying this is an elvish sword forged by those of Gondolin oh and I found that very interesting because like that's the only mention of Gondolin we have in the movies and you'll only find it if you listen directly to what he's saying See, I man, I wish I wish I knew Elvish better. I mean, I know that it has some Latin roots in particular, um, but uh, as far as like pronunciation goes, but oh yeah, yeah, that's a tough one. As far as the real language itself goes, I'm not sure. You know, like the alphabet in particular, I could never get the alphabet. I could get the pronunciation fairly well, but it's, it was always the spellings and the alphabet. Yes. Those are tough. Yeah. I know a little bit of pronunciation. The basic, pretty much all the pronunciation I know is that C's should always be pronounced hard. 
right. like a K. And that I's should almost always be pronounced E. Yeah. But Wait, aren't... Apparently there are some... There are some letters that have been, like, gone over thoroughly recently from him. And now there's a little bit of a debate as to whether that last rule was true or not. Yeah. See, like, the C. I knew the C's. And I thought there was something about G's. Like, you usually pronounce them hard as well. Yes. But, you, uh, you almost always pronounce them hard. Yeah. And, like, isn't there an indicator as to whether you should do that? Like, a certain, like, a, a stress mark? You're thinking? I can't remember, but I feel like there may have been somewhere. Most things in Lord of the Rings go by Elvis, Elvish pronunciation, not Elvis. <laughs> yeah. but, Same difference. But I, I found that a lot of Elvish pronunciation rules are actually very similar just to the way they talk, to the way British people talk, and that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, I do see the similarities there, and like you said, Latin. The uh, hard C and uh, where you pronounce I as E, that is very common yes. in Latin. Um, actually, I believe he also based it off like Welsh. See, I heard Welsh and Norse too, a little bit of Norse, yeah. or was that Dwarvish? Um, Norse, I think, had some influence on Elvish. It it had a lot of influence on the people of Rohan's language. Ah. So, like, if you actually take the word Eowyn, and actually, that's actually a real world word in Old English or Old Norse, and it literally translates to, more or less, she who loves horses. Yeah, like... So, also, Old English. He used a lot of Old English for the Hobbit. Yeah, the runes were, um, they were pretty much all Old English, weren't they? Yes, those are all actual English runes, old English runes. He didn't make any of those up, I don't think. Mm -hmm. And Dwarvish, I am definitely not familiar with at all. Yes, I, I wish he had written more for that. There's literally two lines in, like, the whole of Lord of the Rings that was Dwarvish. Yeah. I mean, like... That was the one... That was the one he had a lot of time with. Yeah. I mean... And it does make sense, considering that they are in the more well-known books, sort of minor characters. I mean, you don't hear a lot about the Dwarvish race as a whole. It's just a couple of dwarves here and there. They don't really have opportunity to actually speak Dwarvish. Yes. That was one thing with the Hobbit movies that I found interesting, that they, had, they took a lot of liberties, but they did try to expound upon the dwarvish culture and language and all more, and I found it interesting what they did with it. Yeah. I wish they would have done more with the funeral though, of Thorin. There. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was a real I... disappointing circumstance. It was. I saw a very funny, um, basically fan art interpretation of that, where Gandalf was scolding Legolas for coming into The Hobbit, and he was like, this is not your story, and now you're, it's your fault. Because Thorin's funeral has been moved to the extended version. Yeah, I haven't seen the extended like, version. You could, it's very brief in the extended version. There is a funeral scene. And it's basically just them laying there and everybody crying. <laughs> well, that's, that's a real disappointing. It was, it was very sad. It was a good... It, it got the feel of the funeral scene right, but it was pretty short. Not much happened. 
And unlike the book, I don't think either Bard or uh, Thranduil were there. I think they had already left. Yeah, I well, well, during the Battle of Five Armies, yeah, um, I knew that Bard was there. For, yeah, they were both there at the Battle of Five Armies, and Thranduil left afterwards. So yeah, they were. They did make it to the funeral, I think. Yes, because I remember that Thranduil and Bard put the Arkenstone on Thorin's chest and left it there because it caused so much trouble. That happens in the funeral scene, but it's not Thranduil and Bard, if I remember correctly. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a shame. They couldn't do that. I mean, it was only a couple seconds more into the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't see any point in splitting it up into three movies. I mean, no. Not really. <laughs> it was just way too much. I think that kind of the main reason in that was so that they could actually show what happened when Gandalf went to... And I just blanked on the name. The place where... Uh, Dol Guldur. Yes, Dol Guldur. That When they went there and he found Thrain and... Right, yeah. And all that. But personally, that's in the extended version. I'm not sure how much is in the regular version. But personally, I thought that got overly dark. It got really, really creepy. Yeah, in the regular version, I mean, it was... It wasn't as bad. I did see part of the scenes from the extended version. Uh, th those particular scenes. And yeah, it got pretty dark. But the ones in the regular version, the theatrical version, it wasn't so bad. I know my sister is a big fan. I am too, but she's a big fan of Galadriel. And she liked to put her in there and showed her as powerful and that she really had all this power, power and stuff that you don't see as much in the books. But we all kind of agree that it, it went a little bit too far with that in a handful of places. Yeah, I mean, I'm not too sure about Galadriel basically single-handedly casting Sauron out of his stronghold. Yeah. That's that's a they um I think they spoke in the appendices about the the council of the white and, and they kind of implied that there were a lot of people there. Yeah, I was made to understand that there was like okay, there's Gandalf, Radagast, two blue wizards, Saruman, Galadriel, Elrond, and like a couple other people who I'm not familiar with. I would have thought maybe the elf who it's not Gilgalad, it's Glorfindel, who helped Frodo in the book, the one who took him across the river because in the book that's, I believe, Glorfindel not Arwen who does yeah. that I would have thought he probably would have been there yeah, I mean they, just, I guess they decided that Arwen was just going to be easier to do because if you did Glorfindel in that scene the amount of extra animation and stuff that you'd have to put in there just for that one scene, and then he would be a major character from then on, so I mean, it'd be yes. you know, what's the point, right? I like that they I, I kind of, I'm torn about that part because I wish they had used him instead of her, but at the same time I like that they used her, because I feel like if they hadn't, because you like really don't see her at all in the very end in the books, whereas in the movies she keeps popping up over and over. Yeah. If they hadn't used her, you just would have people being like, oh, she's just a sappy girl character to be in there just because. Right. Yeah, they they did a lot. I mean, with Arwen, that was... 
that was kind of surprising when I first watched that because I was watching it thinking, okay, I don't remember this. A couple yeah. seconds later, well, are we sure about this? No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Helm's Deep too. That was they added a lot there. I mean, it was definitely not like an easy battle in the movie, but it was way way harder in the book for the uh, yeah. people. Bro. They they spent like I. I... I tell people it's really funny because Lord of the Rings is known for epic battles and just against all odds and we're fighting and just blood and guts yeah. everywhere. And that's that's the movies and you read the books and it's like they fought all night. So many people died. There's your battle. Right. Not that it's anticlimactic. You still feel it. But you could tell he was not to over-glorify war. And then the movies kind of just totally didn't do that at well, all. Well, that's what sells. I mean, you know, it's... It's oh yeah. So I had I had an idea if you would want to do this just for a conversation yeah. thing. To um flip through this book I have this dictionary and just pick one or two topics. Okay. And just kind of read over them. So let's see. Oh, and I did have I did have one thing because I when I flipped through I, I landed on Alway, who was one of the elves, but his name reminded me of the Valar. Mm-hmm. And I was reading something interesting and it was that I I was reading there's this argument that um that if the great eagles could rescue Bilbo when they were attacked by goblins, if they could rescue Frodo and Sam at the end. Why could fly the ring to Mordor? <laughs> yeah, that that I have heard that one. Um, I've heard that one. I I get. I mean, I, I understand reasons why it won't work, but I I came up with a. I was reading something and I came across a very very interesting argument for why that's not a good argument at all. Yeah. And and what it is is they said that basically when you kind of read The Lord of the Rings, Silmarillion, and all the surrounding texts, that if you look at it, it seems that the eagles are not just great big birds that Gandalf orders around. If you go with the book canon, they ought to probably be the eagles of Manwe. Oh, okay. Yeah, they do mention that in the Silmarillion. The... They mention the eagles of Manwe, and then because the books, because The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit are supposedly written by Bilbo and Frodo, it makes sense that they wouldn't really know that. Mm -hmm. It's it's kind of the the scope of the Silmarillion. It's as if you, it's literally written by one of the Valar or God or something where he can see everything. Whereas Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit are written from a much more finite point of view. And the argument was that it makes sense that those eagles would be eagles of Manwe, and that whenever he felt that it was needed, he would send them and use them to help and, and turn the tides of the war and help the men and, and the mortals on Middle-earth. And I found that very interesting, because that's obviously not the way it's represented, or, or not as much, in the movies. They almost represent it more as if Gandalf is ordering them around. Right. Yeah, I mean just air support it's and i have heard the eagles of manway before uh it, 
if I remember correctly, he was the uh, of the highest order in the Valar, right? Yes, he was the the chief of the Valar, and he was the viceroy to Iluvatar. So, ah, uh, yeah, I I always get them. I always get him mixed up with the uh, Ulmo, but uh, yeah. Yeah, their names are so hard to keep straight. I can keep him, and the the only other one I really am able to keep straight very well is Varda because they mention her a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and of, and of course you know Iluvatar. That was he was obviously kind of a main character in all that. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, what topics were you planning on discussing in the dictionary? Okay. Let's see. So. I was just going to sort of flip through and pick one. Okay. So, here we go. Okay, so Melkor. Oh. That's one. <laughs> and I can read I can read the entry here, or we can just go straight in and just talk about oh, it. Oh, let's hear the entry. I'm interested to hear what it's got to say about him. Cool. Okay. So it says, Melkor. Vala, Lord of Darkness, even as an Anuar spirit, Melkor, which means he who arises in might, was filled and brought discord to the great music and the vision. Upon Arda, Melkor took darkness and cold as his domain. During the shaping of Arda, he thwarted its making so that it became marred and imperfect. And while the Valar set about building their kingdom of Almarin, Melkor corrupted any of the Maiar spirits. He took them into the north of Middle-earth and built his rival kingdoms of Utammo and Angband. In Arda, Melkor waged five great wars against the Valar, laid waste to Almarin, and destroyed both the Great Lance and the trees of the Valar. In the beginning, Melkor appeared in forms both fair and foul, but after the destruction of the Trees of Light, he always assumed his evil form, which the elves called Morgoth, the dark enemy of the world. Tall as a tower, Morgoth wore an iron crown and black armor. He carried the mace called Grand and Hammer of the World, and a huge black shield. The, the fire of malice was in his eyes, his face was twisted and scarred, and his hands burned perpetually from the fire of the Silmarils. Yet in the War of Wrath, all of Melkor's power was destroyed, and he alone of the Valar was driven from the spheres of the world and dwells forever in the Void. That is the most complete synopsis I have ever heard of Melkor's um, proverbial life. Mm. Yes. I, I have to agree. I was very, very uh, happy with the definitions given in the book. That, I mean, really, that, I need to get that. There's literally like three pages on what a Maiar is. Yeah, just, I mean, in essence, they're just kind of a lesser spirit, right? Yes. Sort of servants I, to uh, Valar. Right, I pronounced it wrong. Multiple is Maiar, one is Maya. So. Ah. Okay. So I'm always, I'm always confusing those how that how that works because apparently in some forms of Elvish, an R on the end is the equivalent of the English S on the end. Hmm. So, I find I find Morgoth slash Melkor a very interesting character because people who haven't read the Silmarillion don't know anything about him really. Yeah, I mean they just hear Balrog of Morgoth and yes, yeah. And that's that's pretty much all you know. And that's what really made me interested when I found out about the Silmarillion and all the other books. And that I was like, okay, so Sauron is not basically meant to 
um, be a symbol of complete evil or Satan or whatever. He's he's more of a a demon in a way. Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess he's kind of the uh, exact opposite of what Michael would be to God. Yes. Uh, Morgoth, like you said, very interesting character. Uh, very complex. Reading about him, you're kind of wondering, you know, he lusts for power, and there's power in the light, yet he destroys the lights. Um, yeah. I mean, he, he is a very... I find him... I find him interesting. I, it, it seems that common thread in Tolkien's villains is that they get when other people have power. Mm-hmm. More or less. Yeah. And and that that seemed to me why he destroyed the lights and that he saw that somebody else had something he couldn't have and he wanted to squash it and make his own. Yeah, and uh, and what he couldn't make his own, and this was kind of a trait that you see passed down to Sauron eventually, he uh, eventually corrupted, which... You know, yes. Balrogs, orcs, and all that lot. Yes, and and that is one thing I'll mention that I found interesting with the Lord of the Rings movies is that they included where the orcs came from. Yes, that. You know that is a good point. I never really thought of. They were. Yeah, they were not created. Like if you read the creation account in the Silmarillion, they were not created with the other children. They were did elves basically. Yeah, and uh, the whole Silmaril um, plot with uh, Morgoth—that was pretty interesting. I'm still trying to figure out a uh, parallel to the Bible with that one because you do see a lot of those, and you have to wonder, well, what's this one? Gonna be? Yes, I'm still wanting to read through the the new book of Baron and Luthien. I got it from the library like the day they got it in at the library. I which was several months ago and school happened and I, I didn't get to read it and I had to return yeah. it. I, I've actually never heard of that. I mean up until now. I mean I heard something about a release of a book but I didn't Yes, it it was only released a few months ago. My dad tagged me about it, like in the middle of the day, and I got all excited and had to go verify it before I actually believed it. Damn. Yeah, that's a, that's another book on the list. I tell you what. Uh, I have yet to read even most of Tolkien's works. I'm more oh, of yeah. a just Lord of the Rings type person. But uh, he, him, and C.S. Lewis both brilliant, brilliant writers. Yes. I do, I don't know, you may have heard about this, but for the writing class that we took last year, I had to write a paper, an end-of-year paper, and my end-of-year paper was on Tolkien and Lewis and their influence on each other and how their story combined. And researching that was extremely interesting. I really loved finding out about that. Yeah. I love the story of the Inklings. Uh, Oh, yeah. That was pretty cool. Have you ever read anything by Charles Williams? Uh, no, I'm afraid not. He was another member. He was like the the other most prominent member of the Inklings. And he wrote, it's similar to fantasy, but it's almost more like Indiana Jones type stuff. Oh, okay, so... It's 
He wrote, um, I read one of his books called Many Dimensions, and it's it's brain warping, really, but it's very interesting. Hmm. Yet another book I need to read soon. I'll tell you what, I'm getting a lot of stuff from this. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I'll flip through this again, another one, and then if you want to wrap it up after that. Okay. Alright, so... Okay, so here we go. Treebeard. That's kind of a basic one, but... Still. Okay, so I'll read this. It says, An ant in Gorn Forest. Treebeard, which is Fangorn in Elvish, was the guardian of the Fangorn Forest. He was an ant, a 14-foot-tall giant tree shepherd, who resembled something between an evergreen tree and a man. He had a rough and sturdy trunk, a thatched beard, and branch-like arms with moved seven-fingered hands. At the time of the War of the Ring, he was the oldest of his race still living in Middle-earth. Although not generally concerned with the way elves and men, Treebeard's discussions with the hobbits, Meriadoc Brandybuck, and Peregrine Took, soon roused his long-held resentment towards the orcs of Isengard. Treebeard persuaded the Ents to march on Isengard. The march of the Ents resulted in the total destruction of its walls and imprisonment of Saruman the White in his own tower. Treebeard also sent those bad-tempered tree spirits called Huorn, and against the orcs after the Battle of Hornburg. Yeah, I mean, whenever you read the books, it kind of leaves a lot to the imagination as far as he goes. It really makes you wonder, you know, what's the original history? I mean, you hear about the original history briefly, but uh, it, like I said, very it's very brief. So. Yes, it's it's hinted at a little bit in the Silmarillion that during the dark times before the awakening of the children, which were elves and men, that there were some things that the are put out in Middle Earth to take care of the natural world. Mm -hmm. So I kind of assumed he was one of them, but I I was reading, I think it was in like the appendix for Return of the King, and. Apparently, the Ents do not have the secret fire, which is, I believe that's the equivalent of a spirit or soul. Mm -hmm. So, they're just basically trees that can talk, which that really confused me, because, you know, we know that hobbits and men and dwarves and elves, they all have a spirit, they all go somewhere when they die and all, but Ents apparently do not. That is confusing, I mean... You would think that they would have and, something and like I've that. Seen, I've seen people sort of also call on that to explain why the Ents didn't want to have anything to do with the battles of men. Yeah. I mean... When uh, Galadriel and uh, Caleborn and all their told them to stay out of Fangorn because, uh, I mean, I thought they were allies originally because after all, the elves did teach them to speak. Yes. But, uh, I really don't know about that one. So that that's interesting because maybe the idea is that they're just great big, more or less great big walking trees and as part of the elves' art, or, you know, elf magic, maybe they help to teach them how to speak or whatever, and that's why they have that. 
quality. So kind of like just a uh, kind of like a parrot teaching a parrot to. Well. Yeah, I assume so because a lot of their basis of I guess right and wrong, the the whole reason they finally did attack was because Saruman and his orcs hurt their mm-hmm. trees. I am on neither side because neither side is technically for me. I mean, it, yeah. Right. There's a uh, there's a character. It just it just reminded me. There's a character in the one of the Star Wars TV shows, and I know you're not as much into Star Wars, but he reminds me of Vince, where he just says, "I'm in the middle. I'm not doing anything. Mortals get on my nerves." <laughs> And there, he was like, you're, you're messing my world, you're hurting my plants and animals, so get away. And he just, in the end, ended up attacking everybody. <laughs> so. yeah, that does sound very similar. I mean. That sounds very intish to me. And the, the funny thing is, the man who makes these uh, Star Wars TV shows is a huge Lord of the Rings and Tolkien fan. And he, he's based a lot of characters and events. You can see an obvious love for that in his works. So that was super interesting to me. Yeah, and what what TV series was that? I'm gonna have to. This one was Star Wars Rebels. Ah. Okay. So it's ending. In fact, when Skype went down, I got a uh, notification that they've just released the airing schedule. So. Hmm. Yep. It's ending sometime, probably early next year. But I've loved I've loved it so far, and I found a lot of connections between that and Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and even some of the more obscure things from Tolkien. Hmm. Well, that definitely uh, means this guy did his research. I'm glad that they're yes. starting to do stuff with that. Because, I mean, you don't you don't yes. see it very often. No, and it's very neat when you do. He's kind of um, attributed a lot of the female characters in his works to being inspired by Eowyn. And you can definitely see that in several of them. Eowyn's another one who I find extremely interesting. Um, I mean, her whole personality and all that. I mean, it does make sense and all that, but it's just very... It's a very deep character. Her and Faramir, both. Yes. They cut a lot of her story out of the movies. Yeah. Unless you watch the extended edition of Lord of the Rings, which we have seen the extended Return of the King. Yeah, we... We have the extended versions of those, and there is more, but even then, I mean, yeah, it's still pretty lacking. And I like the way Tolkien, I like the way Tolkien handled her, because she's a deep character and she goes through a lot of character development. But it was it was a time when you didn't have, I mean, you didn't have a whole lot of fantasy in the first place, but you didn't have really any fantasy that included female warriors or anything like that so it was interesting to see where that came from mm-hmm. and that's another case of the Viking influence and the Norse yes. influence have you seen the article where they just um, discovered the Viking grave that was a female warrior yeah I have that was very interesting um... I read that and that was like really made me interested because attached to that news article they had a summary of one of the Norse epics. Which which one was it? And it, it mentioned... Oh my, I can't remember. I'll put it in the show notes for this episode on my website. Ah. So, I can't remember exactly what it was called, but I can look it up. 
But it was interesting because there was a character in there that reminded me a lot of Eowyn. And uh, it is very interesting to see how, like, these Norse uh, epics and all that do tie into this. Uh, I heard somewhere that there was a lot of Beowulf in here. I'm not yes. very familiar with, with Beowulf credit, but don't know it too I'm, well. I, I think it may have been The Hobbit that he based a lot on Beowulf. I'm thinking the whole uh, quest to kill the dragon who took your world, basically, he took your home. Ah. Okay. And an and interesting thing is if you read one of the old, uh, I can't remember if it was the Prose Edda or the Poetic Edda, which was like this collection of Norse mythology. Mm. No, I haven't. But one of them... One of them has a list. I've, I've read this secondhand. I've not read it myself, but I want to. It's just those collections are so long. Yeah. But there's somewhere where there's a list of the Dwarvish kings. And if you actually read through that list, I believe there is a Thor and Achille and Aphili mentioned. That's where he got those from. Really? Yes. Man. Yeah. Like, didn't he also get... Um... I'm thinking it was I'm thinking it was Gandalf. I'm, he got that from something. Like I don't remember what it was. Yeah. Gandalf bears a lot of similarities to Odin in Norse mythology. Oh. It was like the father god and he always was almost always represented as a very tall man with a gray beard and a lot of times a gray cloak. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Yeah. And one one other thing, I know this is a little bit off track, but with the movies, again, at the end, they left so much unsaid about coming back to the Shire. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. Definitely. I mean, wow. You know, I just can't get over that one. Yeah, they changed a lot of things, and I'm trying to remember... I'm trying to remember why they changed that. I couldn't remember if it was because they thought it would take too much to film or they were rushing or... I can't remember what happened, but they basically transferred it back to, in the extended version, to the scene where go and confront Saruman. So instead of Saruman escaping, he gets killed then and there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the budget thing sounds right, but I... I don't know. That was still disappointing. They, they kind of condensed a lot of times in The Lord of the Rings where, like, you had, was it, like, 17 to 30 years happened between Frodo getting the ring and actually setting out on his quest? Yeah. And then that's why he's not supposed to be his early 20s. Right. When the movie starts, or when the quest starts. Yeah. Yeah, they did that, and then, like, they moved a lot of stuff from the Two Towers. Or was it... They switched a lot of stuff in the Two Towers and Return of the King, like, just kind of back and forth from there. The Fellowship yes, is really... and also... I'm sorry, go ahead. The Fellowship of the Ring and An Unexpected Journey were very close to the book in most points. Yes. But then it's like, after that, they just kind of went off the deep It end. was always the middle movie, too, that was really, like, in comparison, wildly inaccurate. Um, yes. Like, I mean, especially The Hobbit. Yeah, I I actually um when when I actually read through The Hobbit, I was like 
where in the world where in the world did they get all that from because the desolation of smog the movie is literally like three chapters i know of the hop the book and they just added a lot yeah and like the whole bold thing he was killed by uh dying yeah. wasn't he like I, be- I believe it was dane it was either dane or thorn but i think it was dane at the battle of Mordor. right um you know it, so it was they, dane. they killed and they killed um it was Azog, and Bolg was still around. Oh, that's right. Bolg was the one who was the Battle of Five Armies. Azog was the one. And and my dad said, I was like, Dad, why in the world did they change this? And he said, most likely, I mean, this makes sense. He said, most likely they wanted to give you a personal villain, because otherwise it's a bunch of disgruntled goblins chasing them. <laughs> yeah. It's not actually, you know, say who you can really put all your hate on. It's just a bunch of goblins chasing them around, and that much fun for fans, but still... Yeah, I kind of preferred the uh, disgruntled goblin thing that went on in the books. So it does it does tie in better with Sauron's scheme for all those years. You know, you can go both ways, and the books seems really disjointed from the whole story of Lord of the Rings. In the movies, it's connected better, but at the same time, for sake of accuracy and, and keeping the canon working right... Yeah. There are a lot of arguments to be said both ways. I can see why they did what they did, but I don't necessarily agree with yeah. all of it. I mean, you're right. The stuff that they do does make sense in a lot of cases. And, I mean, if you do look closely, you do see stuff from, like, different Tolkien works. I mean, and I'd, I'd be interested to see a movie of, like, the Silmarillion. A lot of people have been saying that they were thinking about doing that, but, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. I've heard that a TV was thought of, and I, I would have to say a TV series would probably work better because it's so long and so expansive. Mm-hmm. I feel like, though, it would become much darker and heavier and bloodier and generally not as kid-friendly if they Yeah. Did. Because parts of the Silmarillion are very, very heavy. Yeah, and Sons of Huron would be even worse. I mean, I, oh, although yeah. I would still love to see that in uh, movie form. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It's, um, I I was talking to someone about the children of Hurin. The idea was, I, I can't remember, have you watched Rogue One? Yeah, I've watched Rogue One. Okay, so it's basically Rogue One times, like, a hundred. Right. <laughs> so it's like, oh, all the characters die, it's sad. Well, have you read this book? Uh, yeah, that, I read that one once, and, uh, I think I donated the book. I mean, I, I liked it and all that, but... I mean, I'd prefer to read the Silmarillion. Yeah. I like that it, it actually went into a little bit more. It went to the story, but it's just so messed up because as a reader, you see how everybody's, mm-hmm. you know, running amok and everybody's messing everything up. Oh, yeah. Like, no. I mean, towards the end there, it's just, wow. I mean, the history of the dragons and all that was amazing. I loved that one. Yeah. Wish they would have... Everybody sees... Yeah. Everybody sees Smog as this big, great old king of dragons. I'm like, no way. She's like, no, you get to the one who... Uh, there's one who knocked over the Towers of the Teeth, I'm thinking. Or, was it, um... Was it Glamdring, was it? No, it wasn't. It was, um... His, uh... I forget what he was called. But, uh, Glaurung was... Yeah. yeah. That one. 
I, I get the the names of the swords and the names of the dragons mixed right. up sometimes. So yeah, Gla- Glaurung. Uh, I found I found some interesting uh, illustrations of him. Some are like, well, you had the sort of stuff that looked like a supersized Gila monster, and then you have the stuff with the wings, which you have, you know, Smaug. But uh, yeah. They say that the first ones were wingless, and then you get to the one who knocked over the Towers of the Teeth, and he was a winged dragon. I can't... That's going to bother me now. I can't remember his name. But, uh... That's interesting. So I guess I assume that the dragons were also, um, you know, didn't have a spirit. They were just like animals as mm-hmm. well. Which kind of clashes a little bit with the Hobbit in that you know, apparently the movie trying to imply that Smog was in cahoots with Sauron all along. Right. Yeah. It, it is kind of confusing. Because, I mean, there is one in particular who uh, melted the uh, some of the dwarvish rings. It was, uh, Oh, yeah, here he is. Um, and Kalagon, the black. He melted the okay. uh, dwarvish rings, and they said that he was technically an evil spirit. And they also say that Smaug was descended from him. So, okay. I mean, I'm still trying to figure that out, whether they're just animals. Glaurung as well. He supposedly had an evil spirit in him. Okay. See, I didn't know that. And also, um, Ongoliant, the spider? Yes. Oh, uh, yes. She was She was also, I believe, a spirit in spider form. She was a more or less a, the same thing as a Balrog in spider form. But... Shelob was descended from Yeah. I, I could never figure out Ungoliant either. Um Yeah, she like ate herself or something? Yeah, I don't I don't know how that worked. Um That was confusing. Yeah. Yeah, and then there are some of these lesser dragons too that you hear about, like uh well this one is Rohan, uh Skatha. And uh there is one that got Gondolin. Can't remember. Don't think he had a name. And the dragon. There seemed to be, there seemed to be a lot more dragons in the earlier years. Yeah, and I don't know if like they just kind of died out or what. I mean, you'd think that they'd uh, do kind of like what Ungoliant ended up doing. You know, just have, uh, you know, one great dragon and a bunch of little lesser dragons. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, but I guess that would have been uh, too much of a good thing, you know. Yeah, probably. You can't have several Smaugs, can you? That would that would be a bit of a problem. Yeah. And am I get? I'm guessing that uh, because I mentioned something about the Balrog being in Moria to my sister. We were discussing it the other day, and that brought up an interesting thought to me. I guess that one. Now, did they say why it was even beneath Moria? Um, I've heard that. Like, the dungeons of Morgoth, I have heard that they were, like, extremely extensive. I mean, massive. And uh, that a lot of Middle-earth was part of these uh, dungeons. But when he was overthrown, you know, it just kind of went downhill from there. And uh, the dwarves delved too deep, came upon a Balrog, and... uh, yeah. Well, that created a bit of a problem for them. Yeah, it did. 
That uh, that makes sense. I feel like I feel like I read something somewhere, but I couldn't remember if it was because he attracted by their greed, somewhat like Smog was at Erebor, <laughs> or if he was you know confined for some reason. He was confined. Something like they woke him up. Yeah, you do hear it said like that. I mean, I'm not sure how that could have happened. I mean, if there were no dungeons underneath there, I don't know what a possible explanation for that would be. I mean, yeah. Well, if you if you go back to the the connection a lot of people make that basically, you know, Morgoth is Satan and Balrogs are demons, then it could be implied that the dungeons are more or less hell. Yeah. And that gets into a lot of theological stuff that everybody's always debating. Yeah, I mean, and then you get, like, you know, you, some people were like, well, you know, you have uh, hell, which is dungeons, and then you're like, well, what about the void? I mean, you know. Right. I mean, it gets crazy. It gets confusing, and I think a lot of that was because he never finished. Tolkien never finished his story. Yeah, that's that, that was a real shame. It would have been interesting to see that, what he would have written. I think if he had completed it, I mean, number one, we'd have a lot more books, but... Yeah. I remember there was a bit of a discrepancy, I believe, because of... Um, I think it was Glorfindel. That, doesn't he die in the Silmarillion? Yeah, he dies fighting a Balrog, I'm, I'm thinking. and He was fighting... Balrog and died, and then he comes back by the time of Lord of the Rings. Right, he defeats the Balrog, but in the process, I think he's like thrown off a cliff or something. But uh, he's sent back at some point. I know that I was reading like a a collection of, I think it was taught a lot of the letters that Tolkien wrote, and that he at the time of his death was in the process of trying to figure out how that happened. He was trying to figure out how uh, Glorfindel died and then came back and it was getting really really complicated and he was really trying to show his fans how it happened and it, it was some sort of he said it basically turned into a debate on theology and immortality by the time he got to where he was when he died yeah I could I see that I mean for the people who like that's all Lord of the Rings is is you're trying to find parallels between all that, which, I mean, I love finding parallels. That's amazing. But once you get, like, really deep into it, it's like, woo. How? Yeah. It stops making sense. Yeah. Because he he always said it was not meant to be an allegory, so. Mm -hmm. Just read it as it is, and if you find a, if you find a parallel, then that's great, you know? And that's, I'm reading, um, because of Tolkien Week, I've been reading through two books I got from the library, and that's... Have you ever seen the Finding God series? They've got a lot of different ones. Oh, uh, yeah. And they've got Finding God in the Lord of the Rings and Finding God in the I Hobbit. I actually have one. And I'm really enjoying those. Yeah. Those are really cool. I, I read the uh, Lord of the Rings one. I didn't know there was a Hobbit one, though. Yes, it was... The Lord of the Rings one was co-authored by two people. The Hobbit one was just one of the guys went in and did that. And that's actually where they talk about the eagles being the eagles of Manway. And they were talking about how that may be a picture of, like, grace, in a way. Yeah. So that's very interesting. I appreciate that they don't try to turn it into an allegory, but they pull out some really neat stuff in yeah, it. I'll have to read that. I, 
See, the Lord of the Rings one, I remember uh, Mom read these to me first, you know. For Actually, it was uh, for school. And uh, we read the Finding God and Lord of the Rings with it, like chapter by chapter. And that was really amazing. I mean, the experience not only of Lord of the Rings, but seeing all of its parallels in places where you would not normally look for them. Yes, those are those are awesome books, and that's really cool. Our mom is trying to read The Hobbit aloud with all of us girls as a family, and all me and my sisters, and we're going to read it and like do kind of unit study with it where we make recipes and things to go with it. And we're trying to read Finding God in the Hobbit as we read that, but as of right now, it's kind of not going very fast because school started yeah. and sort of blew up on us, and we got really busy. Yeah. I tell you what, recipes, those are fun. Yes, those are very fun. I made I made a couple things from the unexpected party, and those were fun. Yeah. I mean... You, you quickly discover Tolkien said hobbits were prone to be fat. Yeah, you do. I mean, actually, one time we tried this. Eat your way through Lord of the Rings. You have to look this up sometime. <laughs> Eat your way through Lord of the Rings. You watch all the Lord of the Rings movies, and we watched the extended versions. You watch them all in one day. Oh, wow. And each time someone eats something, you eat it with them, like, in smaller amounts, of course. Yeah. But now, now, you want to talk about, like, getting into the whole Lord of the Rings spirit? That was that was neat. That sounds really neat. I'll definitely look that up, because that sounds awesome. It is, I tell you. Okay. So thank you so much for joining me today. I had a lot of fun talking about this. Happy to do it, and I had I had a great time myself. Thanks for inviting me. Well, I'm glad you were able to come, and to all my listeners, I'll have show notes for all the things we mentioned on the site, and I'll have links to the books and different articles I mentioned. I'll have that article about the Viking grave, and I'll have Amazon links to all the books, probably including the Lord of the Rings books, and the different sites talking about Tolkien Week and Hobbit Day, so you can do some research yourself. So thank you so much for tuning in, people. It's been a lot of fun recording this and I'm glad I finally got around to talking about the Lord of the Rings on this podcast so I'll see you again next episode goodbye so I hope you guys all enjoyed that really rambly and ranty and geeky exploration into the Tolkien side of things in this episode I had one other thing that I forgot to mention in my intro that I wanted to mention here. I am now officially a staff writer for Future of the Force, which is a Star Wars fan publication. I'm super excited about that. My very first article for them debuted a couple days ago. Please check that out. I'll have a link to that as well. It's all about the symbolism and the appearance of one of my favorite characters, from Star Wars Rebels and rapidly becoming one of my favorite characters from Star Wars in general, Hera Syndulla. And I just talk about what she looks like and how that works with the human mind to symbolize certain things. So I had a blast writing that and I'm super excited to be part of the great team there at Future of the Force. So if you haven't seen that article, please check it out. And like I mentioned earlier, the website for the Elven Padawan, where you can read my blog, find show notes for this, get caught up on all the latest Star Wars news, is www.elvenpadawan.com. You can email me 
by using the address shay at elephantpowder1.com. You can also use the little contact box thing on my site under the contact option on the main menu bar. You can leave me a comment on there. You can contact me through Twitter. If you have Twitter, please do follow me. Um, I'm at elephantpowder1. And please subscribe, leave a rating or review on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play Music. I've got, I think, four reviews right now, which means I've finally gotten a star rating, which is fantastic, but I can always use more. So please leave one, even if it's just short, even if it's just a rating without a review. So please do that if you can. And I hope you guys have a fantastic week. I hope to have out a new episode next week for you guys. In the meantime, may the wind under your wings carry you to where the sun sails and the moon walks. And the force be with you always. I regret to announce this is the end. I'm going now. I bid you all a very fond farewell. <laughs>